Farmers are the heartbeat of rural America. Congress recently invested $20 billion in America's farmers and ranchers, focusing on conservation practices and profits for future generations. Today, these funds are at risk. You're squawking over $20 billion. That USDA program, it's investment into the future for everybody. If the funding was eliminated, it could hurt farms and families. Tell Congress, protect this generational investment in the Farm Bill. Learn more at investinourland.org. Paid for by Invest in Our Land. Now, this is a Saturday morning. It's just after 6 a.m. And Reince Priebus, as you may recall during his short tenure as chief of staff, was under quite a lot of pressure. It had been a very long week, and so he's sound asleep on a Saturday morning. Oh, my gosh. And he's, so he's getting a call from the president at 6 a.m. He's probably wondering what, <laughs> what... What on earth is the president calling me about at 6 in the morning, right? Is there, are, are, is there a nuclear warhead in the air somewhere? So Reince Priebus answers the phone, sleepy, and Donald Trump says, what do you think of my tweets? And Priebus <laughs> says, what are you talking about? What tweets? Hey, everyone. Welcome to a special edition of the Nerdcast. I'm your host, Scott Bland, and I'm talking today with Tim Alberta. He's the chief political correspondent for Politico magazine, and he's the author of a new book coming out on July 16th. That's American Carnage on the front lines of the Republican Civil War and the rise of President Trump. And it is a doozy. Trump says, oh, you got to see him. Check out my tweets. So Priebus sort of leaps out of bed, gets on his iPhone, finds at real Donald Trump. And sure enough, he sees the tweets. And, and, and Priebus says to the president, where did you hear this? Well, what are you basing this on? And Trump says, oh, listen, listen, hold on, listen to this. And on the other end of the receiver, the president is using his TiVo device, and he is replaying an interview from Fox News the previous night between Brett Baer and Speaker Paul Ryan, in which Brett Baer is asking Paul Ryan about these unfounded sort of third-party reports about spying and wiretapping in Trump Tower. And they do uh, start a wiretap uh, at Trump Tower with some computer and Russian banks, and it doesn't show up anything by reporting. Have you heard that? And Ryan basically gives this BS get me out of here answer to Brett Baer, not not having any idea what he's talking about. Well, again, and, and like I said, none of us in Congress uh, or anybody that I know in Congress has been presented with evidence uh, to the contrary of what you just said. And that was the clip upon which Trump watched Saturday morning on his TiVo device and sent out the tweet. So he plays this sound clip on the phone for Priebus and Priebus says, what on earth is going on? So he said, let me call you back. He hangs up on the president. He calls Paul Ryan. Now, these guys have been friends for decades, and it's an hour earlier in central time. Paul Ryan's in Wisconsin. So Ryan is awoken to this phone call, and he is even more delirious and disoriented. And Priebus says to him, Paul, you have to look at these tweets. He says that he's basing this off of your Fox News interview. What the hell is he talking about? And Ryan opens his phone, locates the tweet, and just bursts into this sort of maniacal, punch-drunk laughter. And he cannot believe this set of circumstances. And he's laughing so hard he can barely speak. And on the other end of the phone... It's not the laughter of humor, it sounds like. It's, this, is, <laughs> this is the laughter of... Um, this is a man under a lot of stress. It's a man under a little bit of stress. And for him, it's sort of a moment of levity, I suppose. Uh, Reince Priebus on the other end of the line is not laughing at all. He is sort of horrified by all of this. And Ryan says to Priebus, look, I just BSed my way through the question. I had no idea what Brett was talking about. So you believe it to be true? 
Yeah, that, that we have seen no evidence that anybody in this campaign um, or any other American was in on it with the Russians to meddle in our elections. We know they meddled uh, Russia as an adversary, uh, and that's something we have to work to counteract. So they hang up, and Priebus is not going to be able to go back to sleep on this Saturday morning because he knows he's got a whole new set of issues to deal with. I mean, it's just remarkable tracing like the course of the book, especially starting in Congress and spending a lot of time in Congress, as, as you did, and the, the the travails of the various Republican speakers dealing with this or that, and then to to end up, <laughs> as, as we do in 2017, with Ryan and now, you know, the calls from, coming from inside the House, basically, and from the White House. Well, I guess it was from Mar-a-Lago, but like, you, you, you <laughs> get what I'm saying. <laughs> I, look, uh, um, some of this is stranger than fiction. Um, as Michael Steele, the former chairman of the Republican National Committee, said to me uh, in the book, and this is a direct quote, so pardon my French, but he said, Shakespeare has got nothing on this shit. And I think he's probably right. Uh, some of the twists and turns along this journey of the Republican Party over the last 10, 15 years are just too incredible to make up. Uh, we have witnessed some absolutely astonishing changes in the party and in the country. And frankly, I don't think we're done seeing those changes yet. Uh, There's obviously a cautionary tale here to be had for the Democratic Party as we begin to see a lot of unrest and and turmoil on their side of the aisle. When a two-term president leaves office, this can of worms tends to be opened. And in this social media age where a freshman congressman, congresswoman like AOC has a bigger platform, arguably, than the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, you tend to think that we have kind of gone through the looking glass and there's probably no going back. So, Tim, let's um, let's back up at this point. Let's uh, the, the the book. It's 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 really interesting. I'm I'm. Well, thank you. The, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's it's a big book. It's a big book. It's over 600 pages. So can you give us like the 10-second version? Uh, right. Scott, <laughs> no, how long what, have you and I known well, one another? <laughs> you're incapable of giving the 10-second version of anything. But what you you do have a clear vision of what happened and what it, what is continuing to happen in Donald Trump's presidency, and w- which is what the book is about. And so t- tell, us, tell us about that. I really wanted to use the book to contextualize Trump's presidency in the broadest, most lens uh, that we should be looking at this through an enormous amount of cultural change, socioeconomic change, political disruption that's happened over a period of the last 10 to 15 years, rather than viewing Trump in isolation, rather than sort of surveying the wreckage of American society circa 2019 and all of the dysfunction and the disunity and the polarization and laying all of that at Trump's doorstep, which frankly is the instinct that many of us have every day is to look at the guy in the White House and sort of lay all this on him. And I think that's wrong. I think that Trump is the consequence of those forces rather than the creator of those forces. So what I did in the book was I tried to go back a decade and essentially starting in the twilight of the Bush presidency, reconstruct this period of Republican infighting. And and really, it was meant to illuminate how Donald Trump sort of rode this wave that was cresting long before he came down his golden escalator. Somebody was going to ride it, but I don't think anybody could have weaponized these forces and exploited this moment quite as effectively as the president did. Trump is not the full phenomenon here. He's uh, w- whether you could say he, he took advantage of it or is, is, is a symptom of it or maybe both yes. in some ways, but th- there's a much broader story to tell. That's right. I mean, and again, we all have short attention spans and in the social media age, um, I think it can be hard sometimes to appreciate the texture and the nuance. And, you know, Scott, you and I have young kids. 
uh, we find ourselves thinking, what are they going to be thinking about all of this 30 years from now? Uh, because it's really hard in real time to appreciate just how dramatically this country has changed politically and otherwise in such a short window. And so, again, the book is really attempting to make sense of Trumpism, uh, aside from just the 2016 campaign and aside from just the tweets from the White House and what we see every day, because there are much larger forces at work here. And Trump is going to come and go. But I think some of those forces will still be at work and we need to reckon with them. So, Tim, what are some of those big cultural shifts? I mean, social media an obvious one, right? Yeah. But that's not all that's going on here. Yeah. Well, look, Scott, when Barack Obama takes office in January of 2009, think about this. Uh, the Twitter handle at real Donald Trump does not exist. Uh, Uber does not exist. Uh, MySpace has a bigger platform online than Facebook. Um, in the last six months of the Bush presidency, you lost three and a half million American jobs. And in the first six months of the Obama presidency, another three and a half million jobs lost. You know, one of the more remarkable statistics I found from, from BLS was that in an 18-month window spanning the end of the Bush presidency and the beginning of the Obama presidency, you had 15% of the American manufacturing workforce eliminated in an 18-month period. It was over 2 million jobs. When you wow. think about that collision of... of economic dislocation and sort of cultural unrest. There's so much happening in the country. The demographic transition that we know has been happening so rapidly and people looking around feeling like they don't recognize their communities anymore. When you put all of this together, it's a powder keg. And in 2016, it exploded. That's so interesting. Now, you you went into this with a wealth of background knowledge, right? That's, that's why you went into it in the first place. But what now, you, armed with that, I'm sure there, there were still tons of twists and turns and surprises along the way. I mean, including the, the election of Trump himself, which, which surprised a ton of people in both parties when, when it happened. But what, what surprised you most about the reporting process for the book once having gone in with this background knowledge and vision for this long arc of, of recent history? You know, a, a few things surprised me. I guess off off the top of my head, Scotty, the f- the thing that probably surprised me most was just how candid people were willing to be. What I really chalk it up to is these folks are doing a lot of soul searching on their own and kind of thinking out loud about these big existential dynamics that you and I have been discussing. Politicians are pretty buttoned down by nature and they're pretty careful with what they say. And But they're trying to make sense of it just as they much are as trying you to make were sense and they needed to yeah, talk it out. Absolutely. They, it was like a group therapy session. And <laughs> a matter of fact, I think it was Eric Cantor who even said that. He, he and I had about a two and a half hour conversation for the book and at the end he said, man, I feel like I just got off a therapist's couch. Like I really needed to talk this through with somebody. And I think a lot of folks felt that way when we were having these conversations. Well, you, you said there's been uh, the, the stories here are remarkable remarkable and uh, some of them almost hard to believe. You're telling them some of them here for the first time. Uh, the book is American Carnage on the Front Lines of the Republican Civil War and the Rise of President Trump. It is by Tim Alberta. It is on sale everywhere on Tuesday. Go get it. Buy local. <laughs> Tim, thank you so much for, for uh, stopping by to chat with us about it. Scott, it's been a pleasure. You're one of my oldest friends. This has been fun. <laughs>